Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Healing and Hope Through Grief. I've really missed working on my podcast. Some things have been swirling around in my head for a few weeks now, and so I started working on this episode last weekend, and what better day to record it than today, which happens to be the one-year anniversary of this podcast What a year at that. Wow. I am so incredibly grateful to all of you who carve out time to listen to my podcast and who have supported me throughout this past year. It has certainly helped my heart and I truly hope that it's helped yours in some small way. We have all been through a lot. I call this recording Good Grief, mostly because what I'm about to talk about is that grief is actually good for you, and what good things will come from you allowing the emotions involved with grief to be felt. The two words good and grief just don't go together naturally, do they? No one views grief as good but I am here today to tell you that no, we don't generally use the word good when we speak of grief, but grief is good for you. It is necessary for you. We think of pain when we think about grief. Believe this, pain knocks on everyone's door. Everyone. The smartest people that I know invite the pain in. They open the door and they say, don't leave until you teach me what I need to know. Everyone's running from pain, running away from it. We are all afraid of it. I get it. Boy, do I get it. Who the hell wants to feel that way? We are all afraid of our pain, but what we should be afraid of is the easy button. You know what I mean? Deflecting, running away from, making yourself too busy, maybe consuming alcohol or drugs even to numb this pain. But that's when the suffering comes in because it never really goes away, does it? Pain is mandatory. It's what heals us, teaches us, but suffering is optional. That's what happens when we try to skip over the pain. So let's talk about this good grief. Let me start with asking, what is grief? What is this concept and how should we describe it? Well, bereavement is when a loss happens to you. It could be the death of someone who is significant to you, or it could be a living loss. So it could be the loss of your job or a relationship, perhaps even your former former self. And don't forget, maybe living in a global pandemic (laughs) For sure, grief is the emotional experience that you feel as the result of this loss. And it's very subjective and certainly uniquely your own. I'll say this again, friends. I don't compare my grief to anyone else's. It's very unique to me, just as yours is to you. It's messy and chaotic and it's tricky, tricky business. The difficulty of it is that it's also very unpredictable. The word grief 
is such a tiny little word. We'd like our experiences and emotions to match what we want. And that just isn't the case with grief. It brings up so many conflicting feelings in us. Anger and sadness, rage, fear, despair, just to name a few. We find it very hard to hold and endure and let ourselves experience these feelings, often because we have not talked much about death and what it means and looks like to grieve. We are, I think we're all kind of ignorant to what is normal and what isn't normal. And unfortunately, this can lead to us turning on ourselves and attacking ourselves because of how we are feeling. And that, of course, makes the whole process much more complex, much more likely to lead to complicated grief or prolonged grief. Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. I'm going to repeat that. Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Discomfort. I would definitely describe grief as an uncomfortable among many other things that we'll talk about later, feeling. The purpose of grief is that it is the agent of change. And when we allow this grief, when we allow it to come through our system, it forces us to face this reality that we don't want to look at. Perhaps that this person that I love or that this thing in my life that I was really attached to is no longer here. Unprocessed emotional pain can be extremely detrimental, not just to your emotional well-being, but your physical well-being. In my case, I believe a lot of my diagnosis a couple of years ago of Crohn's disease has to do with my grief and stress and inability to process these emotions. We live in an age where sometimes What I don't think about and what I don't talk about isn't going to hurt me. And we know this to be very far from the truth. This is the admission. We are wired to adapt. We are wired to have hope. But when you block the natural grieving process, you are hindering your healing. Our modern culture wants to offer solutions and fix this. But death seems to be something that there just is no solution for. It's death denial. Why is grief so difficult to wrap our heads around when death is an inevitable part of existence? We like to avoid the fact that all life will come to an end. We dodge talking about death. We grow up with not a lot, if any, education on grief and death and mourning. This, my friend, makes our experiences with death so much harder to handle. The task of mourning is to face the reality of the death. Facing this reality is really vital for our mental health. I would say with all of the emotions that grief comes with, sadness, anger, shock, denial, despair, it's no wonder that grief is so painful. It's no wonder that our instinct is to run away from these feelings, but it is scientifically proven that this does not serve us. 
we need to allow the grief to storm its way and allow it to come through us. And as it does, yes, it does change us. It does come through in a sometimes very chaotic and messy way. You will go back and revisit your grief for the rest of your life. Now, if you didn't put that grief work in, you've missed this opportunity and didn't resolve the things or ask the things that you needed to then, you will be stuck with them and they will ruminate and go around and around in your head constantly. We have these theories on how grief is going to work. We can recall Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work where she describes the stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Of course, none of these emotions follow one another. You can actually feel all of these within the same day and the same time. They are certainly not stages that you have to work through. They are all important aspects of grief that you will not be able to shove away. You will have to come to terms. There is no path or no st- or structure. This makes it so hard for us. And if you're anything like me, you like having control over how you're feeling. And of course, these are not feelings that we naturally befriend. We have a problem with these feelings. And I'm going to tell you right now, you will not be able to control them. Biologically, grief wreaks havoc on our nervous system. We go into flight, fight, or freeze. We go into fourth gear and stay there. And if you are in fight, flight, or freeze, your capacity to cognate and make sense of things and make good decisions goes completely offline. That's why they advise to not make any big decisions for at least a year after a traumatic loss. And honestly and truly, this advice is worthwhile adhering to. You are simply in a state of survival. Physiologically, your whole body shifts to accommodate this. Uh, You may be short of breath, lose your appetite. You might have insomnia. Some people sleep a lot. Grief often feels like fear. It might feel like you're being threatened in some way. Some people have said it feels like they're having a gun pointed at them or even like they're, they've come face to face with a bear. We know that your heart in the very first six weeks after a significant death is more likely to have a heart attack. My own father experienced this. He was unable to attend Sophia's funeral. He was in the hospital having a triple bypass. He did say his heart was broken. And that feeling of being brokenhearted is very real. It's not just a feeling. It's physiological. Pain hits our mind and body. They are completely interconnected. There's a book I highly recommend called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. It's by Bessel van Kolk. Bessel van Kolk. It, it helped me understand my own physiological ailments, such as my Crohn's, and how to reclaim my life. My heart hurt so much after Sophia died. 
it can still on many days, not just emotionally, but physically hurt. I felt like I couldn't take a deep breath and that there was a constant tightness. When you think of how you would feel when face-to-face with a loaded gun or the threat of being face-to-face with a bear, then think about when you wake up every day only to recall the significant death or loss you've experienced, the physiological feelings are quite similar knowing this. Knowing that this is a real physiological reaction helps us to understand. Remember, knowledge is power. The best prescription that I can offer in my experience to someone to somewhat break this pattern of fight, flight, or freeze is to exercise, to move your body. I know I've talked about this a lot. It's been my absolute most reliable method. You will always feel different. If you're in that awful, locked, terrorized state, you know the feeling when you just can't face life. You just can't face the day. I'm going to tell you to get outside, get moving, wherever you live, get outside and move your body, come back and do something that intentionally calms you, intentionally soothes you. Maybe a hot bath, maybe journaling, write down your feelings, a hot cup of tea, maybe a cold glass of water. If you don't have something, work on finding something. Allowing your head and your heart to connect will soothe you and help you. Moving your body has tremendous effects. You will feel better. Close your eyes and be still. You will find what works for you. It may become integrated into your daily life. Grief feels like madness at times. You might feel like you're going crazy. So moving your body naturally makes sense as a way to calm yourself down and release endorphins that will naturally make you feel better. If grief can feel like facing a loaded gun or a vicious bear, then no wonder We want to put these feelings behind us and shove them to the side. As human beings, we love to avoid things that are difficult and tough to feel. We often do everything in our power to stop or avoid or numb difficult emotions. The problem is when we try to avoid thoughts, the research shows it actually hurts our overall mental and well-being instead of helping it. I think I've repeated this message several times in this recording already in several different ways. So how soon will you feel better? This is my favorite part. The paradox of grief is that the more you allow these feelings in and give yourself the courage to think about them and embrace them, what you most fear, then it's actually liberating. One of the things that this pandemic has taught us is that we recognize our lack of control over many, many things in our life. I think what will always be true is that things we care about most, whether people love us or don't love us and how we live and when we die, I mean, we can influence, we can shape it by our lifestyle, but we have no control. 
This is the paradox. To get through grief, we need to recognize our lack of control. We need to embrace the fact that we are going to feel negative emotions. Wait, 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 wait. I, I wasn't going to say, I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to say negative emotions. I am, I am so at fault for this. I am not going to use that word when I refer to these emotions. I'm reading a really awesome book right now. It is called Atlas of the Heart by Brené Brown. And it, is, it actually maps out the meaningful connection of language referring to the human experience. And it talks about, I think, I think 87 emotions. So using the language negative in front of emotions is definitely not something I want to do. I really want to break that pattern. This is part of the problem. It doesn't need to be positive or negative. If I look at a feeling such as sad, as a bad thing, as a negative emotion, I'm, com- I'm compounding my relationship with sadness and tears. If I think of my sadness as a natural, expressive emotion, then this will actually help me to feel released and better after I have felt sad and certainly after I have cried. You will feel like I am supporting myself in that feeling of sadness. But if I come at it like, ugh, sadness, ugh, that's bad. I only want to feel happy. I'm kind of stopping myself at the starting block before I've ever even had a moment to let the emotion do its thing, right? The response we have to grief is often very counterproductive. We try to suppress and put the lid on like a pressure cooker. Your emotions are wired to tell you when something is up. And when you're grieving, the emotions are in our body like tornadoes saying, you know, saying, wake up, this is real. You cannot avoid this. So the energy you put in to kind of squash them down, well, they stay powerful and alive and full of ambition to come back and talk to you. So the more you block them, the more they are going to fight back. I heard a really, really good analogy this week. And I want you to think, I want you to picture yourself right now, okay, in water, in a swimming pool. Okay, so you're in a swimming pool and you have a great big beach ball, an inflatable beach ball, and you push that beach ball underwater. When you let go, that beach ball is going to come right back and hit you in the face. Okay, that's what's going to happen if we don't allow these emotions in and to do their thing. So when you allow them to come through and you surrender and you feel the emotions you adapt a little bit, all right? You begin to allow more and more and maybe even express them. Something in you shifts bit by bit as you shift and accept and allow, you begin to heal. A really easy personal example that I want to share with you today is, and I hope it helps shed light on what I'm trying to get at, Um, one of the first times that 
I went to the grocery store after my daughter Sophia died, I came across multigrain Tostitos. And I was so overwhelmed with emotions. Um, I just like sadness and despair. And I literally felt like I could not breathe looking at these multigrain Tostitos. I just wanted to fall down to the floor and I just wanted to melt and bawl my eyes out. These were something I used to buy often for Sophia while she was sick. It was one of the things that she sometimes could tolerate eating. I mean, I came across many items like this, um, just that I knew Sophia enjoyed or that she had requested at different times. And while I was in the grocery store, I could not possibly allow myself to purchase them, let alone touch the bag. I skipped by a lot of items in the store like this. So that day I basically took a deep breath and once I got home in a safe space, I allowed myself to feel the full feeling. I mean, obviously in a public place, no one wants to burst into tears in the grocery store. So this is how we process our emotions. Believe it or not, now I can actually buy her favorite foods. I can buy the Tostitos. I can buy the candy that she loved. My emotions are mixed still, but in them are more memories of my beloved daughter instead of absolute despair. Until you begin to adapt and adjust and stop stuffing your emotions, you will never get to that point. Remember the paradox. Maybe carve some time out daily to go to a quiet place and unpack these hard. Okay, I did not mean to say hard. (laughs) Let me start over. Go to a place and unpack these emotions. Unpack how you felt in the grocery store. Or maybe something else came up during the day that you had to compartmentalize because you were at work or just how you're feeling in general. You will be less likely to be hijacked in places where you don't want this to happen. So that's my advice. That's what I say. You need to think about what happened. Where, what's the trigger? And allow it. Allow in the emotions. Okay? I have a tattoo on my wrist of Sophia's signature. I absolutely love it. I refer to it every day and look at it and think about her all of the time. It's a direct connection that I have with her. And I guess I kind of embody her by thinking about her and visualizing her as I look at my tattoo. I will do this forever. As a society, I think we want our friends and our family and ourselves to get past these feelings. I'm not going to say difficult. These feelings that we don't want to feel. But we are reminded again and again of the paradox. By allowing all of the emotions in is how we heal and recover and have hope again and love again and live again. It's by allowing these feelings to come through you. That's how we grow and heal. There is something referred to as post-traumatic growth. And it never denies the level of the loss or the depth of the pain and the suffering. 
But what people are finding is that when people realize they can survive what they thought they could never survive, that they would never overcome, and that they've allowed themselves to feel pain at levels that were beyond their expectation, their perception of themselves, their resilience, their robustness, what matters most to them in life. It feels like they've been changed in so many ways. They would never want the thing to have happened, but they are able to have this amazing perspective on life. And I so badly want that for you. I want to leave you today with hope. Hope that your grief will bring you closer to your healing. Hope that something that I said today resonated with you, even in some small, sweet way. I hope it helps you. Thank you for listening.